If you have your Bible with you this morning, would you turn with me, please? Second Kings chapter 2. Second Kings chapter 2, as we're reading verses 1 through 12. Most of you are aware that we have been steadily working our way through the book of First Kings, and today we come to our final study in the story of Elijah, and it's Second Kings chapter 2, reading verses 1 through 12. More than 10 years have passed since last Sunday, and please forgive me for putting it that way, in the life of Elijah, and a great deal has happened in his life, and we're about to see exactly that. And in the chapter before us, God has told Elijah that he will take him up to heaven that very day. And so we come across chapter 2 and we read of Elijah's last day here on earth. So Second Kings chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha, were on their way to Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, But please, do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, and facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan, Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. And the water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, and the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. As you're aware, over these last few weeks, we have been exploring the incredible story of Elijah. 
And over these last five Sundays together, we have learned a great deal. And not only have we learned a great deal of information, we have sought to apply it to our lives week by week as we seek to live out our faith. We have learned that Elijah was a remarkable leader, both at a national level and at a personal level. We learned that at times he was absolutely fearless, uncompromising, and persevered in prayer in the midst of some of the most challenging and difficult and unexpected circumstances. And in those early weeks together, I also said this of Elijah, that he's taught us that patience which is needed to cultivate character takes time. Quiet spoken wisdom and seasoned maturity does not come instantly. The insightful perspective which adds depth to your discussions and decisions comes with integrity, generosity, determination and humility. And such maturity only comes as a direct result of time alone with God. We saw that to be true in the life of Elijah, and I suspect most of us know that to be true in our own experience as well. There is absolutely no substitute for time spent alone in his presence as he shapes and molds us, engages with us, listens to and answers our prayers. We've also noted that significant challenges have dominated the life of Elijah. And there has been, as a result of that, a number of profound motifs that have come out of our study And the one that's come out Sunday by Sunday by Sunday is this, that we have been taught that a profound trust in the invincibility of God's grace is available for our every need. And if there was one lesson I'd want you to take away from these Sundays together, it's this. We can absolutely trust in the invincibility of God's grace. And that's certainly been true for Elijah and true for us as well as we trust him for all that comes our way. But last Sunday was a little different. Last Sunday we encountered an Elijah we hadn't seen before. We encountered an Elijah who was physically tired. His energy had depleted. He was emotionally exhausted, despondent, Deeply discouraged, bordering in fact on depression. And what we saw last Sunday was this, that God with great grace got alongside Elijah and provided for him nourishment and rest and encouragement. He built him up physically, knowing that when we are tired, When the bow is constantly being stretched and under pressure and bent, eventually it will break. And that's what happened to Elijah. And towards the end of our passage last Sunday morning, you will remember that God appeared to Elijah and spoke to him in a gentle whisper. Because God realized, not only for Elijah, but for everyone who's ever been born, Physical nourishment, mental rest, 
absolutely crucial if we're ever to be who he has called us to be. But also, he whispered to the heart and mind and soul of Elijah and refreshed him and renewed him. And at the end of our passage last Sunday morning, he was a very different individual. But since then, ten years have passed, possibly even slightly more than that. God has provided Elijah with a close companion, a good friend, someone he could have any discussion with. His name was Elisha. You find him mentioned here in 2 Kings chapter 2. And if you want to take the opportunity this week, go back to the end of 1 Kings 19. You will see Elijah and Elisha meeting for the first time. And so here was God taking Elijah out of a period of loneliness and isolation and providing a good friend for him. And if you have a good, close friend, a husband, a wife, a parent, someone whom you can confide anything in, have any discussion, and they will pray with you and encourage you and be there for you, give thanks for such a person in your life. And that was certainly the case for Elijah. Not only was things changing for Elijah on a personal basis, they were also changing for the northern kingdom. And Ahab the king, his wife Jezebel, who were both sadly brutal, violent dictators, they had died. Their sons had come into power. Ahab died first. Jezebel continued to rule through her sons for another ten years. And sadly, she finished life in a rather gruesome and violent manner. Now, as we come into Second Kings chapter 2, here we discover the final days of Elijah. And in these opening verses, there is... A pattern here that repeats itself three times throughout this chapter. Elijah, as you know, has been through days of extensive training, intensive testing. He has responded extremely well to significant unexpected changes multiple times. He's been tested on one occasion after another, after another. And in the midst of all that was happening, God was shaping and molding and changing Elijah. He was maturing him. In fact, he was creating a mighty instrument in the hand of God, so much so that Elijah was able to call down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel. And if you were with us that Sunday, you'll remember the lesson we took away, and it was this. Never underestimate what God can do with a single individual utterly and absolutely surrendered to his purposes and plans. And so here is Elijah in his final days about to engage once again with God in a manner he, I suspect, hadn't anticipated up till the day it happened. And the pattern you see emerging happens in the first few verses. Notice what happens. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Let me pause right there. Only two people in all of Scripture 
have escaped death as we understand and know death. One was Enoch from Genesis chapter 5. The other is here is Elijah. Quite unique. Why did God take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind and not allow him to pass through death? We simply don't know. But the passage we are about to immerse ourselves in is absolutely fascinating. And you see the pattern begin in those first two verses. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha responds, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so they went down to Bethel. What you see here appears three times in these first 12 verses where Elijah says to Elisha, I'm heading to Bethel, I'm heading to Jericho, I'm heading to the Jordan. And the pattern repeats itself, not just in terms of Elijah speaking to Elisha, but he then goes on and says, but you stay here. And Elisha says, no, I'm not leaving you. It's almost like watching two professional football players where one is in defense and is watching the other player and will not leave the other player's side. He's right there. I think the phrase is, he is in his shirt. When he turns to the right, he turns to the right. When he goes to the left, he goes to the left. That's a picture of Elijah and Elisha right here. Refuses to leave him. And so they head towards Bethel. Then Jericho. Then the Jordan. And the question, of course, is why these places? What is significant about them? Why are those places of particular importance? We're about to see it. At Bethel, we first read of Bethel in Genesis chapter 12, where Abraham encounters God for the first time And his life is dramatically transformed. And Abraham will not be the same man again. And God reveals himself to Abraham. And Abraham knew nothing of God up till that point. And he says to him, Abraham, I am your God. And I will walk with you all of your days. And Abraham, tonight when you look up to the sky and you see countless billions of stars... That will be symbolic of your descendants. And I am going to walk with you all your days. And I will answer your prayer. And I will lead and guide and direct you the rest of your days. And Abraham, you will walk closely with me. Abraham was so struck by being exposed to the love and grace and majesty of God that he builds a memorial to that event. He builds an altar there at the place of Bethel. So why does God take Elijah back to Bethel? To allow him to remember. To allow him to remember his faithfulness to Elijah over the last multiple years. To say, Elijah, do you remember when I first called you? And I called you to the brook at Kirith. And you remember what happened in those days when I shaped and molded you. And you came to know me. And our intimacy increased in those wonderful days of profound intimacy. 
when you were maturing and growing in your faith? Do you remember those days? Those days when you learned that fundamental lesson of the Christian faith that you can have absolute trust in the invincibility of my grace. And then Abraham, do you remember? I called you to Zarephath. And do you remember what happened there when you went through one testing period after another, after another, to ultimately you were given a room upstairs in the back end of the house of the widow of Zarephath. And do you remember her son died? And do you remember what happened when you picked him up, brought him back to your room, laid him on your bed, you laid hands on him and prayed for him, and I breathed life into him? Elijah, do you remember? Bethel was a place to remember. It's a place of monuments, a place of altar. And altar speaks of sacrifice, of course. So let me probe a little this morning, if I may. Do you remember when God first began to work in your life? Do you remember the moment when he captured your attention and he began to speak to you heart and mind and soul and he took you to a deeper place in your relationship with him and he opened up his word to you and it began to make sense for the first time and he would answer your prayer and walk with you each day. Do you remember those days? It was for you Bethel. And it may be the pew you're sitting in right now when he reached out in his grace and his love and began to draw you into a relationship with him. Do you remember those days? Days of excitement, great joy, deep abiding intimacy, baby steps, uncertain about your faith, Uncertain how to pray. Couldn't quite understand scripture. When the pastor says, look up Second Kings, you had no idea where that was. But over the years, you've learned the basics of prayer. You've learned to understand scripture. You've learned, more importantly, to apply it to your life and live it out. That was your Bethel. Bethel and an altar is also a place of sacrifice, a place of surrender. And over the years, you've learned to surrender. You've learned to surrender a particular lifestyle that you were once involved with and now have no desire to go back there, wondering why you ever lived like that in the first place. You've simply given it up, surrendered it. No longer is it attractive to you. Your motivations, your desire, your behavior, your speech pattern, all changed as God has been growing and maturing and shaping and molding you. That's what happens at Bethel. And you've given up a way of thinking. You've given up dreams that have not come true. You've given up hopes that you once had. 
because you have now found deep, profound contentment in him. And somehow everything else seems to be of so much less importance. And for others of you, Bethel has been a painful place. It's been a place where you've lost a job, lost a business, a young couple miscarried, lost a child, told no one. And yet God was right there with you, bringing healing and wholeness and renewal and allowing you to begin again and taking away the pain and the heart and the injury and refreshing you. That's Bethel. That's the place where God is at work most intimately when sacrifice is offered up, when surrender takes place, growth, maturity. You've learned the power of persevering prayer as He's fashioned you and drawn you into a deeper relationship with Himself. That's why God was calling Him to go back to Bethel to remember His faithfulness, His love, His goodness. And also to prepare Elijah for what was to come. And if that, in some senses, addresses Bethel, why Jericho? Jericho was historically, symbolically, an important, significant place for the people of Israel as they entered into a promised land and their future was ahead of them. And it was a place of intense struggle. It's where battles took place. It was a place of surprising, unexpected change. A place where they were shaped as a nation. A place where God was at work. I mentioned earlier that Bethel was a place where Abraham first encountered God. But also his grandson Jacob. He first encountered God at Bethel. But in Genesis 28, after dreaming all night of a stairway going up to heaven, of engaging with God for the first time, Jacob wakes up, builds an altar as his grandfather did, as a memento, a monument to what had taken place. And the passage finishes with these words, Surely the Lord was in this place and I never knew it. What a thing to say. The Lord was in this place and I never knew it. I couldn't see Him. I couldn't detect Him. I was oblivious to all that He was doing. And I wonder if in your Jericho God was at work in those early days and you didn't see it. You were unaware of it. Unaware of it as you battled and struggled Perhaps with addiction, surrender, 
once again, a way of life that had to be given up. Battled with rebellion. Battled with thought life. Battled with doubts, with family members, relationships at work. Perhaps even now, battling with health issues, fearful about the future, anxious of what the future holds. And in fact, you're going through Jericho right now, uncertain of what the next few years will bring. But please remember this. It was in the struggle for Elijah It was in those moments of battling with Ahab. It was in those moments when he was a wanted outlaw running for his life. It was in those moments of quiet solitude that God was at work shaping and refreshing and renewing Elijah. When you're going through the battles, please remember this. You are focused on victory and God is focused on you. Who are they becoming? How can I shape them and fashion them so they will in turn be more Christ-like? That's what's going on when you find yourself in Jericho. And in Jericho, once again, you discover the power of persistent prayer. And finally, as the passage moves towards its climax... Elijah and Elisha move towards the Jordan River. And as they come to the Jordan, notice what happens. Verse 7. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? And there's a break in the pattern. And the question is this. What can I do for you? Notice what Elisha says. He says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha said. Now, why did he ask for that? Because for ten years, he'd lived close to Elijah For ten years he'd watched him pray. For ten years he'd watched his life. For the last ten years he'd watched him on the national scene as God's prophet to the northern kingdom. He'd watched him interact with Ahab and Jezebel. And he'd watched how he responded to all of the crushing pressure and responsibilities that Elijah had. And he said, I want to be like him. I want a double portion of what he's got. And it may well be you are sitting there this morning and saying, Richard, if Elijah was to ask me, that's exactly what I would ask for. I would want his power. I would want to be able to persevere in prayer the way he has. I'd want to be just like Elijah. Well, dare I say this? 
And allow me please to push back as gently as I can, but nonetheless push back. Because we don't live in the days of Elijah. We don't. We live post-Pentecost. We live in the days when God's Holy Spirit has come down upon His children and He dwells within us. And so whenever we're tempted to say, I'd love to have the spirit of Elijah, hold back, resist, because you have in fact the spirit of God Himself dwelling within, enabling, equipping you for all that lies before you. And if you are fearful and anxious about the future, if you are scared over health issues, if you are uncertain about children, whether they be adults or teens or great-grandchildren, please know this, as you persevere in prayer, you can absolutely trust in the invincibility of His grace. Absolutely. And please know this, how many times have we said on Sunday morning, and there is a distinct possibility, you are fed up hearing me say this, that the same Holy Spirit who brought Christ back from the dead, with all of the moral and supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, lives in us us, lives in us, when we're tempted to think, if only I was like Elijah, if only I had his power, if only I could persevere, if only I could trust, if only I had his strength, if only I went through the intimate moments he went through, please remember this, you have so much more with the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within dwelling within, equipping us, refining us, enabling us to surrender and sacrifice the areas in our life we no longer want to be part of and growing and maturing in our faith. That's what's happening right here. As we come to these final moments of our study this morning, let me share with you a birthday card I received uh, last month, and it is a birthday card covered with angels, and they have golden halos. And on the front it says, on the day that you were born, the angels got together. And I thought, what a sweet, lovely card to begin to think that this person would think that on the day that I was born, the angels were rejoicing and they got together. And then, of course, as you open it up in the inside, it says, and were severely reprimanded. And, of course, it's funny, it draws a smile to her lips. And I deeply appreciated it. And birthdays are, of course, times for looking back, giving thanks, but also times for looking forward. What does next year hold and the year after and the next ten years? When you celebrate moments like birthdays, memorial weekends, we do give thanks. We rejoice, we celebrate. We thank God for His faithfulness and His protection upon us. 
But we also look ahead, asking, Father, strengthen me, equip me, allow us to grow in grace, that we might serve you all the days, that we might be an example for our children and our grandchildren and those around us, just as Elijah was. And as we wrap up our studies in Elijah, as we look forward to what God has for us ahead, unexpected change, most likely. Difficult days at times, most likely. Surprising us, most likely. But we will never experience them on our own. Because His Holy Spirit dwells within us. He refines us and shapes us and fashions us. And He reminds us of the power of persevering faith and prayer. And ultimately, He reminds us that we can absolutely trust in the invincibility of His grace. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning. And thank you that not only do you dwell within us, but you take us by the hand and you lead and guide and direct us each moment of each day. And so today we commit ourselves afresh to you, learning some great lessons from the life of Elijah and asking that you would indeed, as you led Elijah, you will lead us. Father, bless us as we seek to grow in grace and in intimacy with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.